Let's pray together. Our Father, we love you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have been so good to us. Father, I thank you for allowing me to come back to this place that has been so precious to me and to my wife and to our family. Thank you for Dr. Patterson and his sweet wife. And Lord, uh, I submit to his God-ordained authority at this school. I come under that leadership as I preach, and that is a safe place. Father, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And I pray it all in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Well, I just want the soloist and the saxophone player to know that they are coming back with me to Memphis. <laughs> and Leo, we'll find a place for you too. All right. Man. <laughs> great to be with you. Haven't we had great worship music today? Let's thank the Lord for these guys. Can we do that one more time? Leading us? Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with me, please, to Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. I did have the privilege of following Adrian Rogers. I told him that was not going to work very well, probably. I told him, I said, it's going to be hard to follow you. He said, no, it won't. I said, yes, it will. He said, no, it won't. I said, yes, it will. And I was right, and he was wrong. <laughs> it was hard. And our girls uh, were so accustomed to living in Alabama. We had a great church there. They had grown up there. In fact, the baby had been born there. So when we got to Memphis, they said, we, we, we believe that we've got a little leverage here and we want to make a demand of you. I said, what is that? They said, wherever you buy a house, we want a swimming pool. Well, I didn't want a swimming pool. I never had a swimming pool. I knew how to swim, but I didn't want a swimming pool. But I bought a house with a swimming pool. And the only thing I do, know to do, is to walk around it and pray. I don't really like to swim in it that much, but... Uh, one day as I was walking around that pool, a little worm fell in while I was watching. And without even thinking, I ran and got the net. And that thing went down, down, down. It fell in the deep end all the way down. And Brother Barry, I reached down there with that net and I pulled it out. And when I pulled that out, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. You say, you've, gone, you've lost your mind. I'm one of those guys that believes that the Holy Spirit speaks. He never speaks against Scripture, but he does speak in our hearts. He's the one telling you to witness to people. He's the one telling you to give to people. He's the one constantly telling you to be nice and to be kind. That's not you. You're a sinner. You're a reprobate. That's the Holy Ghost talking to you. And the Spirit of God spoke to my heart and said, that's what I did for you when I saved you. I reached in and pulled a worm out of the miry clay. I set his feet on a rock named Jesus. I put myself in him, a new song, the Holy Spirit. I put myself in you. And I've given you a song of praise to your God. We're just a bunch of worms that God reached down and graciously saved. We're just 
as the Bible says in Zechariah, were just burning sticks snatched from the fire. As soon as you get over yourself, God will start using you. And if God has forgiven you, worm, if God redeemed you from the pit, burning stick, you ought to forgive other people. The questions of Jesus are not there for him to gain information. They are there for him to teach us something. And back in a few years ago, I was just reading. I couldn't believe. It was about 2013. I was reading through the Gospels. I couldn't believe how many times Jesus asked a question, not to gain information, but to make a point. It was a, did a didactic tool. He was teaching. He was giving answers by asking questions. <laughs> and uh, here's one of the questions. You'll see it in Matthew 18. Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I don't say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and his children and all that he had and repayment to be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Now look at verse 27. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion. And he released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out, found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a 100 denarii. He seized him. He began to choke him saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him saying basically the same thing that he had said to his master earlier. Have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling. He went. He threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. They came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not? Here's the question now. Here's Jesus making a statement through a question, verse 33, should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he could, should repay all that was owed him. And then the punchline, the bottom line, verse 35, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This text in many ways has lost its meaning in our day, but in Jesus' day, this was startling. It was revolutionary to the hearers. Uh, let's just go through it very quickly. First of all, he talks about the fact that God is merciful. God is merciful. Look at verse 21. Peter came and said to him, Lord, 
How often shall my brother sin against me? They've just been talking about church discipline in uh, Acts 18. How often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, where do these numbers come from? They come from Genesis chapter 4. If you think about it, the number seven is the number for completeness in the Bible. Jewish rabbis taught that if somebody sins against you, you ought to at least forgive them up to three times. And Peter was asking if he should forgive someone who had genuinely repented up to seven times. He probably had Cain in mind back in Genesis 4 verse 15 when the Bible says, So the Lord said to him, Therefore whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. How many of you know that Jesus knew his Bible and does know the Bible? Does anybody know that? You know, when you're the author, don't mess around with the author, all right? And, and, so, and so Jesus, just as quickly as Peter made reference to Genesis 4, corrected him with another reference from Genesis 4. He s- said, no, not seven times, but seven times 70. And he was referring to Genesis 4, 24. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech, 70 sevenfold. Jesus was sharp. He was on it. He, he said, you, you want to you quote? You want to refer to Genesis 4? Let me refer right back to you out of 44, uh, verse uh, uh, chapter 4 of Genesis. And let me just try to say to you that it's not how many times. It's not seven. It's not seven times seven. It's, it's none of that stuff. It is if they genuinely repent, you genuinely forgive. That's what you do. That's what Jesus was teaching. Verse 23, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Now, this is a very typical first century rabbinical form of teaching. You have a king representing God who has a kingdom, who has people or servants representing God's people, settling accounts. That's a picture of judgment. Look at verse 24. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had in repayment to be made. Uh, This slave must have been pretty high up in the king's service because he had Uh, been capable of of mounting a tremendous debt. And uh, the numbers here, really, they're off the chart. They're referring to billions, if not trillions, of dollars in our day. And he, he, he was broke. He had squandered everything. And he couldn't repay the king and he is in, his family were about to be slow, sold into slavery. That was a common thing in the first century. Very similar to what the Bible says in Proverbs 22, verse 7. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. The lender's slave. So what did he do? Verse 26. He had one course to follow. He said, so the slave fell to the ground. Prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me. I will repay you everything. Now there was no way he was going to repay him everything. But he said, I'll, I'll, I'll work, but, but don't take my family. Don't let my children go to prison. Oh, oh king. And verse 27 is one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him. Can you imagine and forgave him the debt. He begged for mercy. And the king, surprisingly, gave him 
mercy. He forgave him the entire debt, that vast debt. That is one of the most vivid pictures of what happened to you when you got saved in the whole Bible. I can remember when the Lord did, Acts, did uh, Psalm 40 in my life. I can remember doing things I shouldn't have done one night and waking up the next day and looking around the room. And I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me that day. Is this what you want? And I said, about 5.30 in the morning, no. This is not what I want. And you follow me. And that week, I went to a little revival meeting. I was the only one who went forward. Bill Coleman, the pastor, shook my hand at Fellowship Missionary Baptist Church in Sharon, Tennessee. Fifty people present. I'd gone with my football buddies from UTM. He said, Steve, what do you want? I said, whatever they got. He said, they've got Jesus. I said, I want Jesus. He pulled me out of the miry clay. I was getting my ankles taped the next day for spring practice. And I looked. I, I probably shouldn't say this in the seminary, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, I looked at the trainer. And I said, I hadn't said a cuss word all day. And he looked at me like, do what? <laughs> but I knew it was real. I just want you to know God has forgiven you for a whole lot. God has been merciful to you. Some of you think that God is blessed to have you. Oh, you can preach. Oh, you're so smart. God doesn't need you. You sure do need God. And you are blessed to have the Lord. God is merciful. Secondly, this text teaches us that people can be merciless. Look at verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. Can you, can you even fathom that? Can you, can you imagine being forgiven for a billion, if not a trillion dollar debt and then go out and choke somebody that owes you about half a million. I mean, half a million is a lot of money, but I mean, if, if you just got off the hook for billions, is the first thing you would do go find somebody that owes you something and start choking them? That's what you have here. So his fellow slave fell to the ground. I believe I've seen somebody else do that in this story. And began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me. I'll repay you. But he was unwilling. He had a hard heart. I wonder if you have a hard heart. You want mercy. You just don't like to give it. You want forgiveness, but you're not willing to extend it. Well, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what you've done to God. 
You're way too easy on yourself and what your sin did to the Lord Jesus Christ. Once you really understand that, maybe God can put some mercy in your heart because you were just a drowning worm when God found you. You didn't know how to get out of the miry clay. And you can't help other people that are in the miry clay? What's happened? Why are you on such a pedestal? He was unwilling. If God forgave you your debt of billions, can't you forgive other people their debt of relatively a small amount? When someone falls into sin, do you pile on on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook? Does that make you feel good about yourself? Why don't you just keep your mouth closed and pray for them? Is it quiet in here? Why don't you say, there but by the grace of God go I? Instead of trying to be a smart aleck on social media. If you're going to have influence, use that in a merciful way. Because I'm going to tell you something. You're going to reap what you sow. You sow lack of mercy, that's what you're going to reap. You sow mercy, that's what you're going to reap. Do you want to be like this man who wanted forgiveness for himself but refused to give it to others? Or do you want mercy? People can be merciless. Third point, my wife says, you could see a car wreck and see three things about it. Third point, God punishes mercilessness. Look at verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, hey, by the way, people are watching you. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved. They came, they reported to the Lord all that had happened. The other servants who knew the whole story, they were outraged, immediately told the king. The king pronounced judgment on the slave he had forgiven who was unwilling to forgive someone else. Look at verse 32. These are some solemn scriptures here. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, you wicked slave. Well, I don't ever, ever, I don't ever want to hear that from Jesus. You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt. I forgave you all that debt. I washed it with my blood, Jesus said. Because you pleaded with me. You begged me. 
and I forgave you everything. Here's the question. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? Some of you may need to just stop listening and ask God to forgive you. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Now, here's the side of God you don't want to see. Verse 34, his Lord moved with anger. He had been moved with compassion earlier, Dr. Patterson, but now he's moved with anger. Same king handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. That's a picture of hell. That's a picture of hell. Blessed are the merciful, they shall what? They shall what? Receive mercy. I think about standing before God a lot. I got one chance. I'm going to point to Jesus <laughs> and say, I'm with him. <laughs> He's all I got. He doesn't get me in. I'm going to bust hell wide open. How many of you want mercy? Anybody out there? You're not going to get it unless you give it. Jesus said that. I know that when you preach like this, somebody said, well, you just, you don't understand. You've never been there. You're privileged. How do you, you don't know anything about me. What are you talking about? Well, you're at that big church. You don't know where I've been. I don't apologize for being at the big church because God called me to that big church, but I was just as grateful to God to preach at a smaller church when God called me to a smaller church. I'm not privileged and except the fact that I'm privileged to know the Lord. I've had people do me wrong, really wrong. Say things about me, lie about me, do things to me. I mean, I've had professionals come against me. But you gotta forgive. Nobody was asking him to forgive them when Jesus said, First thing out of his mouth on the cross, repeatedly, by the way, according to the verbiage. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I think the devil was tempting him to be bitter even on the cross. And the Lord said, no, Father, forgive them. Nobody was asking for forgiveness. You just don't understand. I don't understand your situation. I get it. But at the same time, I do understand the Bible. And it says, if you don't forgive, you won't get forgiveness. That's what it says. If you're not merciful, you won't receive mercy. So let's just do something for a minute. 
Think about the person that has hurt you. You're not condoning what they did. You're not saying that it's wrong. But I want you to see them, and I want you to look at them right now. Let's just all close our eyes just for a minute, all right? Quit looking at me. Look them right in the eye. And, and by the way, you're looking at them in a prison cell that you've given them. You, you have built a jail for them. See them locked up in the jail that you have made for them. Every once in a while, you'll pull them out and slap them around a little bit and throw them back in. But you've got them in a prison right now. Now, I want you to look at Jesus right now who's standing right with you and say, Lord, I used to be in one of those, but you set me free. And I thank you for that. And now, Lord, by your grace, I want to set this person free. Now, I want you to walk over to that jail cell, take the key of your bitterness, open the door, and summon them out. Tell them to come out. Now look them right in the eye and say, in the name of Jesus, I forgive you. Now shut the door with them on the outside. Give the key to Jesus and throw the cage away and let them go free and guess what? They're not the only ones going to be free. You're free now. Heavenly Father, help us to give the mercy to others that we want to get, have. Shouldn't we have mercy on others? Shouldn't we have mercy on our fellow slaves in the same way that you have had mercy on us? Thank you that you are merciful. I pray that we will be merciful as well. In Jesus' name I pray, and if you agree with that, say amen.